Welcome to Promo Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. In this episode, Fabio Gratton, CEO and co-founder of Invibe, which was recently acquired by Thread Research, discusses how patient voice listening technology is enhancing and disrupting clinical research. Thank you so much, Fabio, for being here and welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. What is the problem in clinical research that you're solving for? The problem that we've been really trying to solve is is not that there isn't a lack of desire in the industry to listen, but what there is, is really challenges in making it easy and taking the friction out of the process, right? So there's a lot of solutions out there, but there's a lot of friction. So what, what we've really been obsessed about is how do we remove as much of the friction out of that process as possible to deliver something that's scalable, systematized, repeatable, and that doesn't at the same time strip out the all-important patient and their humanity from that process. So when we first set out on the mission, we focused really primarily on three foundational components, just to kind of bring this a little bit more to life. One was the ubiquity of phones as devices for input. The other was the simplicity of voice as a modality for providing input. And then the third one, which was something that people often overlook, is the importance of emotion. At the end of the day, we're humans and we have emotion and to kind of strip that out of the process, uh, especially in something as important, critical and sensitive as healthcare, I think is, is really doing it an injustice. So, but of course, like the problem that we ultimately needed to solve in all of this was the logistical issues around listening, namely the scheduling and the complexity of extracting signal and insight from messy data like voice. Those are things that were really, really important to us that we needed to figure out uh, with our product. Can you tell our audience about what work you've been leading at Invibe and now at Thread? Absolutely. So, I mean, let me start by saying this, that what we're trying to do is really help make better therapies by ensuring that trials are designed in a way that they measure the right things, that they're easy to participate in, and they're really human-friendly. And we believe that the critical path to getting there is through listening to all stakeholders that are involved in the process, not only the clinical trial process, but at all, honestly, at all stages of the product development life cycle. And we really think the key to getting there and what we built at InVibe and what made Thread really interested in what we were doing was we make it possible to really make listening a standard in healthcare. How is emotion something you can even begin to quantify? And why is it important to include in the context of trial planning? When you think about the, the process, you know, the, the entire sort of process is purely scientific, right? I mean, up until recently, at least, everything is developed with a purely scientific mindset. Here's the drug candidate. Here is the target patient. Here is the desired benefit. Here is the scientifically robust study design that gets us to these meaningful endpoints. But what's left out of the entire process is the human, not the biological organism, right? But the, that we're trying to treat or cure, but the human being. And, and you know, like you and I, we don't just, we, we feel things, right? We're not perfect. We're not lab specimens that can be perfectly set under a microscope and studied. We don't always make the most sense. We don't follow directions. We get tired and frustrated and we abandon things and even routines that make a lot of sense to us. Not because we don't care, 
but because we're wired that way. So in research, to me, it's essential to taking the disease and the human being into consideration really when designing a trial. And as simple as that sounds, that means putting the patient in the center, giving them a real authentic voice, and then really understanding what in that voice is giving us a signal of how they're feeling. And emotion is a really, really critical part of that. Locked in what they're saying is frustration and anger and tension. And if we are not paying attention to those things, we may be actually missing some of the most important signals. But we think that putting the patient in the middle, fully listening to them, to their authentic voice, that's really the disruption, taking both the clinical scientific component and the human component and putting those things together when looking at a drug development process. How does that emotion captured get conveyed back to the researcher? So probably in order to answer that, I probably would have to kind of explain sort of how we collect the data through an automated interview. And that's, that's kind of the innovation. And, and there's all sorts of benefits to that that I can get into later. But when we conduct that interview and we collect that voice, we're able to look at the linguistic and acoustic signals. So we're looking at the language, like what is being said and how those words are being structured, not when they were typed in, but transcribed. So that gives us a lot of you know, signal because certain words composed in a certain way can show hedging or confidence, et cetera. But then the voice layer on top of it actually helps us understand how were those words being said when they were said. So it's kind of like the why behind the what or the, or the how behind the what. You're able to understand, yeah, or yeah, very different forms of yeah. One of them is like kind of contemplative and maybe not so certain, while the other one is confident and directive. And it's really important that we can tease those elements out when somebody is talking, because we understand if, if there's a for example, if there's a study protocol that's being shared and we want to understand whether it's clear, the way someone talks about it, they, the words themselves may, may be all the same on paper. They may all look like, yeah, it's pretty clear. I understand it. But someone's saying, well, yeah, it was, it was pretty clear, I guess. And, and you suddenly have in five words, six words, so much more meaning than you could have ever gotten by someone saying it was pretty clear because by the way, they wouldn't have even said, I guess, if they were typing, right? So you have all of this kind of context. And why is that important? Well, it's important because what's happening in research as a way to be able to scale insights is a lot of things are being streamlined and, and in doing so, we lose all of this other emotional signal on the, on the fringes, right? We, when somebody types in a response, they use significantly less adverbs and adjectives. And you may say, well, what's, what's the implication of that? Well, it's extremely important because if something is very frustrating versus frustrating, that's, you know, quantitatively speaking in healthcare, we look at scales, but when people type, they take shortcuts, they do this thing called satisficing, right? They try to just answer the question in as few words as possible. When people talk, they start with an answer and then they build on an answer. So what you end up doing is you end up getting layers and layers of richness, both linguistically and acoustically. So for us, where it becomes practical is because you always want to know, like what's, you want to double click into a data point to see like, well, what was really meant by that? But if there's no richness to the data point, so we need this texture, in my opinion, in order to be able to make smart decisions about how we design a trial, how we evaluate burden of disease, how we even select drug candidates for that matter, and what they do and how they improve a patient's life. 
in what stages of a trial is patient voice listening technology best suited for or being utilized in? Right. So right now, the listening is being primarily done before and after, not during. But obviously, there's a great deal of development that's going on. I can't go into too much detail on it, but that we're looking at how a listening platform can work during a trial. It's kind of a no-brainer that if DCT is all about making data um, collection easier then or more reliable also, then clearly voice as an input aligns really well with that objective. But as I mentioned earlier, it also has a significant amount of other signal and the language and the acoustics of the voice. So it could actually prove to be more valuable than any of the other sort of self-guided data capture modalities that are currently available. So right now, before and after, but I think the opportunity is really both before, during, and after. And frankly, that's kind of what we mean by listening as a standard. It shouldn't be something that you do just once. It's something that you do continuously and that you really are constantly listening and co-creating and capturing. Why would a company make the change to this method of sourcing patient insights? I think that anything an organization is currently doing to get patient input is great. But you know, some organizations invite members of advocacy community, others conduct phone interviews or focus groups with patients. Some organizations have made it a standard practice. However, we believe that like true listening is something that should be happening continuously, like I said all the time, everywhere, we believe that it should be collaborative and there should be a co-creation element to it and not just one-time questions, but ongoing iteration in the process. And last, really, but not least on that point, we believe that real listening requires the real voice, like I mentioned. Having there be a mechanism for an organization to capture, analyze, share, and actually listen to real voices from real patients. Again, their emotion their energy, the pitch, the pain, the hope. So we really believe that the only way that the voice itself can truly convey those things, having the ability that that voice can be socialized and shared and heard within an organization. You hearing me versus reading something is actually going to be processed and felt differently. So what does empathy do? The empathy makes you more likely to take certain action and do certain things in the interest of me than not having it. Now, what, what is the whole point of listening in healthcare? It's so companies build better products and services for patients. So it's critical for there to be empathy. And the key to empathy is voice. And the key to hearing voice is listening, which means that is why we're so obsessed with not just capturing, collecting, and analyzing, but making sure that it actually is part of the deliverable, that everybody in an organization listens. today. That's just not possible because who's going to watch a 20-hour recorded video of a focus group? Nobody. And phone interviews are just happening between the person and the patient, and they're all over the place. And they really, you know, it's just being synthesized by the moderator, but nobody else is listening. So the problem is we've outsourced listening, and we don't consume the content. Our content can be entirely consumed in approximately 120 minutes. Imagine that an entire research project could be consumed in 120 minutes. Average eight questions, average response is one minute per question, average number of participants is 20. So in totality, you end up with basically the time it takes you to watch maybe Titanic, you could consume the entirety of a research project, which now means 
almost everybody can. We had to design something so that it became consumable. And you know that's kind of why we've been so obsessed with it. And that's why we think it makes a big, big difference between how organizations are doing it today and what we've developed is a way that makes sure that it gets consumed. You mentioned continuous listening. Does that mean the same group of patients are surveyed multiple times or are there multiple separate surveys with different patient groups? Great question. So both, um, absolutely both. So in one scenario where it's, you know, you're able to continue to pulse the same people where you're able to see over a period of time, you can ask those questions and start measuring. Are they starting to use different words? Are they starting to talk differently? Are they starting to express different emotions? And over time, watch those changes. The other way to do it is when we say continuous, though, we probably mean it in the broadest sense of the word. We mean it in a way that as you're working on a project, when you want to co-create, we believe that co-create has to be continuous and iterative. But people say co-create, they bring a bunch of patients into a room, they sit down, they brainstorm, they, you know, they cut out things from magazines, they come up with words, they come up with things, that's co-creation. But true co-creation means that the output actually gets put back in front of the patient and there's additional iteration. So you give me an idea, a group of patients gives me an idea, I think about what that could mean, how that gets translated into say a study design, I share it back with the patient, the group of patients provides me with more input, we tweak it a little bit more, we put it back in front of patients. It doesn't have to be the same patients, but it's iterative and ongoing and continuous because there's all of these different touch points along the way. But right now it's very, the reason we're very selective of when we do any kind of research because it's time consuming, it's expensive, it's logistically a nightmare. So when you look at someone, you say, let's do market research or let's do insight research. Everybody's like, well, do we, well, we have the time? Do we have the budget? Like, that's what we're trying to remove. It's when somebody thinks of like, let's imbibe this, they're thinking, let's get this done easily. Let's get this pulse. Let's keep moving. And then they want to do it again, right? We want to really make it a verb. So it's something that becomes part of the vernacular where people are thinking like how to continuously listen to patients all the time, co-create is really to imbibe. How are you sourcing the patients that you're listening to and receiving feedback from? The challenge with recruiting patients is a, is a lot of things. If, if it was easy to recruit patients, well, maybe we'd have people in trials and we'd have all sorts of incredible benefits. The real challenge is that is not that they're not out there. It's that they're, we have to recognize that it's an ecosystem. You've got patient communities, you've got advocacy groups, you've got panels, research panels. And because there's so many different ways to get patients, the challenge is really that we don't have an easy kind of marketplace mentality. And we approached it more as like, there's a ton of great partners out there. There are a ton of people that have varying sizes of communities that they can reach. Let's partner with all of them and let's integrate them all into our platform. And in such a way that when a project that we want to get answers to from this very specific, small, minute population that everybody says is impossible to find. Well, the reason it's impossible to find is because if you go to a single source, it'll be very difficult. But if you get to 10 sources at once, you can get there much faster. And that's what we, we built on the recruitment engine was a, a marketplace of partners that we can activate immediately technologically that is able to immediately create, a, make available a screening tool into our studies so that you could have people all kind of coming in from multiple directions. And then the funnel is much bigger at the top. And so eventually you end up with the patients that you want significantly faster in a study. So the way we source 
is I would say 80% of it is through that partnership model. And 20% of it is we have our own direct recruitment team that leverages social media advocacy groups that actually does, you know, picks up the phone, writes emails and does it the hardest possible way, because that's a channel too. And it's important that we find those patients, but we're, I mean, to give you an idea of how powerful this is, is recruitment tends to take anybody that comes to us, it says like, ah, we just can't get this recruitment done. It tends to take weeks and weeks and weeks. We can recruit most studies in days. We've recruited entire studies in hours. And that's just like, oh, people go like, I can't even get an SOW put together in that amount of time. I can't even get a contract with you guys. So it's, it's a game changer when you're able to run projects concurrently with multiple partners. Can you walk us through how a patient actually experiences giving feedback? Our platform is pretty much accessed on any device, uh, desktop, tablet, phone. Um, so however, because we're so focused on voice, we are really designed most of our experience around the phone. Um, it's something that we all have wherever we are. It's always in our pocket. It's portable. It's easy. It's something that we're extremely accustomed to talking to, speaking into. Um, so when we recruit patients, they're provided with a link that brings them to a page on their device or desktop again, um, that essentially explains exactly what they will experience. Um, the questions are going to be asked, they'll be provided with stimuli is what we call it. And then the prompts, the stimuli can be anything. It's oftentimes some text or audio or video, something that they have to respond to something that we want to show them. Uh, once they see that on their own time, they essentially have a button that click it dials they listen to the questions read to them that they already read before, so they were mentally prepared, and then they speak, hang up, and they're done. Like, it's, it's as easy as that. Now, keep in mind, I'm oversimplifying some of it. The part that I'm oversimplifying is like, well, does that really work? Is that really a good experience? Well, well we had this wonderful advantage, which is we co-created our product with patients. So we had, have had now nine years of continuing to simplify and streamline just how easy to make the process. It wasn't that easy nine years ago. So, and, and obviously it's something that we learned really early on because a lot of people go like, well, it seems like it'd be a technological barrier. We're like, but using a phone, that's not a technological barrier. People go, well, yeah, but what about, you know, for older people, for disabled people, we're like, ah, we've done studies for people that are in their eighties. We've done studies for people that have disabilities. We've had studies with people that have asphasia from stroke that have Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia. I mean, from the rare to the common, we have so much data now to know that. And we've been able to recruit patients that co companies have said, like, I've, we've never seen these patients before, you know, for, especially in stigmatized conditions, you know, things like hyperhidrosis or psoriasis or even HIV AIDS, where people may be more like a little bit less comfortable revealing some of their sort of status publicly, like all of these different areas. And the beauty is because it's no scheduling required. It's completely asynchronous. You know, oftentimes people with health conditions, they're busy taking care of somebody or taking care of themselves. And they have all these other complexities. Imagine being able to like, you just put your child to bed at one o'clock in the morning after a really difficult day dealing with a cystic fibrosis. And you're able to now express your thoughts versus at an appointment time on a schedule. So the experience is it's self-directed, but we've done a lot to make it, make the usability extremely easy. It's as easy as if you know how to use a phone, if you know how to click a button on your phone, then you know how to use our platform.
Thread recently inquired in Vibe, how does this acquisition fit into Thread's broader DCT actions? You know, Thread's always been on a mission. I've, I've known Thread for quite a long time, watched them since kind of their birthing, if you will. So Thread's always been on a mission to modernize how we do research, uh, making trials more inclusive, efficient, leveraging technology. So on the surface, Thread has built a, this kind of singular, configurable, awesome platform that makes DCT trials possible. But for us and the way we see it is really that's just one piece. What Thread's really done is made it easier for companies to do what's right for the patient. Again, it's not from lack of desire that companies don't implement remote data collection methodologies. It's, it's really from sheer complexity. It's, it's difficult. There's anxiety about DCT. It's all new. And, and there's fear. But, but by, by staying focused on the end game, which is making sure that a diverse group of patients have access to trials, that they're able to participate without adding any extra burden to their life, then everyone wins. So first of all, we share in this. The patient always comes first. Then we share the belief that technology, when made simple, deployed properly, made scalable, can have massive massive impact on all components of the eco-healthcare system. That's one piece. Then also we shared a vision that in order to create a patient-centric company and the most patient-centric company in the world, we really share that idea, you need to constantly be thinking about what you're not doing, how you do something that you're doing better, how you can continue to try, learn, evolve as you do things. And Thread, for us, really the alignment there, and I'm kind of getting a little bit more into the psychology of how we were thinking about when we were looking at Thread, like, do we want to take this dance card? You know, Do we want to do this? Well, they showed just an incredible amount of self awareness and humility in this area for us, that was really attractive. Like they did not, they knew that this was going to be a journey. They knew that the, there was never like a perfect end state. They knew that like, you just have to keep moving forward and keep improving and learning. And so what that really meant is for us, we're such an organization obsessed with listening. We realized that they believed in listening to, and they believed in, in something like us that was so critical that they needed to have something like that. So by bringing these two forces together, we both believed we could grow, get better, get bigger, achieve bigger things. So yeah, it it felt great conceptually. And now, of course, that's turned out to be true in practice as well as we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of weeks and months as we've been integrating. So we feel like it's kind of a two peas in a pod, if you will. As we're wrapping up, Do you see any hesitancy or hurdles in a wider adoption of listening technology as a new standard for gathering patient feedback? I think we're going to see, it's just like on any adoption curve. I think we're beyond the early stuff. I think we are definitely on the rise to more broad scale adoption of DCT and voice and what we do. I think it's lack of knowledge and understanding. I'll give you an example. When, When we started, Alexa didn't exist. So people would say to us, who the heck would ever talk to a a machine? Now, nobody even asks the question. And again, when you think about Thread started when ResearchKit was the only way that people were developing apps to collect data. Now there are so many different apps in so many different ways. We barely had any wearables at the time because where would all the data go? I mean, they were mostly designed like very clunky technologies that were designed to like feed through like massive towers in your house. I mean, it just wasn't very easy. That's all changed. So 
I think there's a technology ecosystem that's evolving that is bringing everybody with it. The voice-enabled world is here. And again, you talk to your device, you talk to, I mean, we're kind of a Siri for thread. You have a question, we have the answer. And that just makes everything easier. If you want to have that input, it's now so common, voice notes, voice recipes. So this idea of voice has now become so commonplace that nobody asks us that question. But I think mass adoption, I think there's going to always be a group of people that holds on to the traditional ways of doing things. Um, It's self-preservation partially. And I think part of it too is that there is no silver bullet. We are not the thing to displace all things. I think trials are should be and probably will be always hybrid in some way, shape, or form. And research should always be multidimensional and multifaceted. I think there's always a fear of adoption because you have a certain way of doing things. And how do you compare what you're doing here with what you did before when you've never seen it before? You're going to need a lot of risk takers and they exist. And those early adopters are going to get us past some of this once you have the data out there. And the data is good. I mean, the data for how impactful what we do, what DCT does, what technologies in general do for patients. So I think the benefits will speak for themselves over the years as people just get more comfortable, as they see the data, and as the benefits become more and more published so that the world goes, well, of course we need to do this. But it just takes time. So perseverance is probably the key for us. Thank you so much, Fabio, for taking the time to discuss how voice listening technology can change clinical research. Again, Fabio Graton is CEO and co-founder of Invibe, part of Thread Research. For more information on PharmaTalk Radio podcasts, you can visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.